0: If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn there with me. Look at the first seven verses together, but this is a reiteration of the Ten Commandments found first back in Exodus. This is Moses um, going over them again in chapter 5. It says, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Israel, Listen to the statutes and the ordinances I am proclaiming you as you hear them today. Learn and follow them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb, Mount Sinai, another name for Sinai. He did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face from the fire on the mountain. At that time, I was standing between the Lord and you to report the word of the Lord to you because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, verse six, he said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. So Israel, they are chosen as God's treasured possession. We've we've seen this in chapter 6 and chapter 7 the last couple of weeks. God calls them, my, my people, my chosen people, treasured possession. But they're chosen as God's treasured possession to show the world who God is. And what God is like by connecting with God's mission in the world that is already going forward at this time in our text and is still going forward today. So Deuteronomy in many ways is is Moses helping the Israelites remember what God has called them to, to remember who they are so they won't forget who and whose they are. The great preacher, Will Willimon, tells a great story, I think, from his childhood when uh, he would, well, I guess he was an adolescent, and he would be going out on a date. And his mother would, every time, she would say to him, son, don't forget who you are. He says, I knew what she meant by that. She wasn't worried I was going to go out, he said, and forget my name and my address. My mother worried that I would be out on a date alone or at a party and forget my values. Forget who I am. Look back at our text. Verse 1 says, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them. Now let's stop right there for just a second, because I just want us to at least recognize what a feat this is to summon all of Israel, even though I told you last week or two weeks ago that Israel, by comparison to other nations, was relatively small and insignificant. This is no small and insignificant feat here to wrangle all of Israel together, to let them know what he wants to tell them, to remind them. I think about just getting our own children in our house to do anything on the first ask. They've never responded to the first question. And I say that um, with some humility because I think Leslie Ann would rightly say that I don't either, And she has to ask me twice occasionally. So just think about how hard it is to get us to do things. Moses is summoning all of Israel here. I digress. He says, learn the ordinances. He says, follow them carefully. Learn the ordinances and follow them carefully. Now... I recently took an assessment, and this assessment, uh, it was an exercise to evaluate my characteristics as, uh, as a leader. It was a values assessment where you would first look at what well, was a list of, of a bunch of different, um, phrases or, or statements or, or even things, and you would have to first assign to these things or, or statements whether it was good or bad. Whether it was good or bad. And one of the things on the list was a traffic ticket. So you tell me, church, traffic ticket. Is that good or bad? Bad. It seems to me that the circumstances around traffic tickets, they perfectly describe our condition as humans. I mean this. Namely, I'm aware of certain areas in the world where I have to be much more careful driving my car than others. Hashtag Bell Mead. <laughs> They're quite serious there. Or even Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. Y'all been there? They are really concerned about their traffic patterns down there in Lawrenceburg, doing a great job. So you better beware when you drive, when you drive through there. And think about this, because I, I do. When you have an officer right behind you, don't you drive completely differently than when you don't? What is that, y'all? It perfectly describes our condition as humans. The truth is, I drive completely differently when an officer is right behind me tense, slow, two hands on the wheel. I have nightmares about what that price, t- price tag is going to be on that ticket. Who knows what it is? They just make it up. <laughs> on the assessment I put that a traffic ticket was good, I did. I know it never feels that way, but I find it a necessary good when I step back and I recognize what it really is. It's a parameter. It's a boundary. And it does help us. It's one of many things that helps us live together in the land well. Right? Moses goes through in the rest of this chapter all of the Ten Commandments again very similarly to when he gave it to them for the first time. And it serves as laws and ordinances that were necessary for the Israelites to live well together in the land. This is from the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says, And the, the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it, to work it, to watch over it, to keep it. So the Ten Commandments. And then, as Israel went on, these Ten Commandments expanded into like 642 different commandments and laws. Did you know that? And the law really is there, y'all. If we look at this, specifically how it was designed for the Israelites and how the laws that govern us are designed for us, they're, they're really there in the end to show us that we can't live by them, to reveal this condition that is ours, ultimately to show us our need for God. This actually has some practical application. The the laws, they don't, I mean, they just kept making them, 642 of them, and they didn't all fit together neatly. Sometimes they bumped up against each other. For instance, one of the first laws was to remember the sabbath day to keep it and a subset of that one was to not do any work on the sabbath to have a day of the week set aside to not work however another law was that if your friend's donkey fell in a hole you were to help your friend get the donkey out the donkey likely had much to do with the person's livelihood so what if that donkey fell in the hole on sunday got a problem there don't we and actually trains of thought, uh, groups of Israelites arose by rabbis who would spend their lives figuring out which laws superseded other laws, which were more important. They were trying to make sense of how all this worked together so that we could live well together in the land. Because remember, Israel was, was chosen as God's treasured possession. And, and, and why were they? Well, to show the world who God is and what God is like by connecting with God's mission in the world that was already going forward. It still is to this day. Look at verses 2 and 3. The Lord, our God, made a covenant with us at Horeb, like I mentioned, Sinai. He did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive here Today, he did not make this covenant with our ancestors. Well, actually, he did, because this was actually a generation after when Moses first gave this. But he's making a really important point here, one that actually gets me quite excited. I love this. See, Moses is older now, and this is actually a generation after the original folks who heard these laws standing there next to Mount Sinai. Yet Moses tells them God made this covenant with them. Not just with their mothers and their fathers. Not just with their mothers and their fathers. This is Moses inviting the audience to put their feet in the sandals of those who stood at Mount Sinai. Do you see that? He's effectively saying... He's saying what Will Willon's mama was saying to him when he left for a date. This is who you are. You're God's treasured possession. Do not forget. I mentioned Fred Craddock earlier. I remember a story he told about a time he was visiting Israel, maybe for the first time. I'm still awaiting going there. He was riding through the wilderness in a car and the driver, their guide, The Jewish man was was pointing out the sites, showing where everything was. And he says to to Fred, he says, here is where we fought so hard when the enemy came upon us. We we knew they were coming up this pass, And so we posted soldiers over here and and we posted them over here. And this this guy, this guy went on to describe this battle in detail. And finally, Fred, he asked, well, which which war are you talking about? assuming he was talking about the war back in 1967, and the driver says, no, no, I'm talking about the Maccabean War. Well, church, that war took place 200 years before Jesus was born. And Fred was shocked at the driver saying this, and he says, you talk, sir, as if you talk as if you were there. The driver said, I was. Put yourselves... In their sandals. This God of a thousand generations. Our God. Creator God. Connects us. Teaches us. Speaks to us. Let's look at verse 7. This was the first ordinance that was given, and I believe it is the one that informs all the others. When we fall short, it begets all the others. God says, do not have other gods besides me. Do not have any other gods besides me. Now, our CSB... It says, besides, that's the translation I I use most weeks and it's a wonderful translation. I, I think it falls short a little bit here with the word besides with an S at the end. Other translations say beside, and I think that is a bit more appropriate because what this means, what God is saying here is that you should not have other gods in my presence. Do not have other gods in my presence. God is calling us to solely focus our worship on God. When we have idols, church, they change us. They recreate us. We become what we worship. If we interact with things that are less than human, then they tend to dehumanize us. Let's take perhaps the most pertinent example to us today our technology. When we are shaped by technology, we inevitably become more stale in how we relate to one another. I begin to treat you as a commodity, and you are only there to serve me in some way. From our call to worship, Lord, let us be those who are here to serve rather than to be served. When we worship Creator God alone, we take on God's character which then yields flourishing and goodness. Unfortunately, our idols are not always as recognizable to us as we need for them to be. They're not always so obvious, but rest assured, we do have our idols. I was listening this week to a wonderful conversation with um, Vinoth Ramachandra, who is a South Asian South Asian Regional Secretary of the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. He's written plenty of books, and the conversation was riveting. He says, he contends, that we can only see, we're we're really only able to see the idols that exist in our life that are so often blind to us when we get help from another culture. That's our secret plan in singing in many different languages, thanks to Oksana and all of the wonderful linguists we have in this church. So often it's because we're trying to bring in different types of people, different cultures. It's a better picture of the kingdom of God, and it does serve to help us recognize our blind spots. Let's take, for example, something that Ramachandra brought up that I thought was helpful. Let's imagine someone from a different faith is coming to the United States, and they want to identify what true Christianity is. Uh, Let's say they're Buddhist, since in Sri Lanka, where Vinoth lives and is from, is over 70% Buddhist. So this person who practices Buddhism is coming to America looking for authentic Christian faith, and what they find is a lot of Christians, but they find Catholic Christians, They find Baptist Christians, a lot of us. They find Presbyterians, they find Anglicans, etc., etc. And they come to find out, even beyond our labels, that there is not a great deal of unity between us all. We each have things that are most important to us. And maybe even more important than we each have things that are most important to us is we don't play very nice Very often, amidst those things, we become defined by what separates us. We dig our heels in on things that I would argue are not as important doctrinally as our relationships are, and it fractures the unity that we could have. You know, maybe we're conservative or progressive or moderate or traditional or edgy. I raised my hands today singing. Did it make some of you feel uncomfortable? And such descriptors, descriptors, they mean very little to anyone other than someone bouncing from church to church. But to the unchurched, to the person who does not follow and who is not already being formed by Jesus, this lack of unity does nothing for them or us in God trying to reach them. Ramachandra imagines them asking, what is truth after being here for a while? Where is it to be found? You see, Ramachandra goes on to identify what he believes perhaps is here in America our greatest idol. And I believe it fits within the category of those that we might go that go unseen or unrecognized by us. And he defines it. He calls it rampant individualism. And we've grafted it from the wider culture, and it has caused us to worship a God who is, in essence, just like us, and it fractures that first command because it's a different God that we put in God's presence, a God, who, a God of rampant individualism who pretty much leaves us alone who pretty much allows us to be comfortable, who who pretty much never asks us to consider how relating to different people than us could actually be good for both parties after we rightly accept them as created in God's image and absolutely equal to us. Remember, Israel was chosen as God's treasured possession, but not to sit in their chosenness. Not to say, look at me. I am so great. No, to show the world who God is and what God is like by connecting with God's mission in the world, which was already going forward and which is still going forward today. And Moses was asking them to put themselves in the shoes of their mothers and fathers in order to be the image of God in the world, representing for the world what God is like, not for people to become like the Israelites, Remember our condition, not for people to become like us, who drive completely differently when a police officer is behind us. We, we want people to become like us when we're worshiping, well, us, in this individualism as idolatry. But that we would come together in community in order to become more like God. So people would see God when they see our community. And become more like God. And in our case today, we sang about it all morning. This is specifically about Jesus. Because we're on this side of Jesus' death on the cross. So we are calling people by speaking Jesus to become more like Jesus. That's why it's so important that we get the character of Jesus ingrained in us. When's the last time you read about it? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are wonderful (laughs) to let us know what Jesus was like, that we look deeply into the four Gospels and at the larger story of the Bible to understand precisely what God is like because God's love has been revealed to us in this way. He sent Jesus so that we could have life through him. Rampant individualism, it leads directly to social injustice. People with the fewest means, they get, they get pushed to the margins. But, but Israel was called out specifically to, in, in, in its holiness and its distinctiveness, as, as God's treasured possession, it's treasured by Godness. They were called out specifically to care for the weakest members of humanity. That was the litmus test to live well together in the land. Everyone, nobody was outside the scope of who they were called to let know what God is like, who God is and what God is like. Whether they were caring for the nation, seeking uh, through their words and their actions, they were always there to show the world what God is like. It's no different for the early church and no different for us today. When we worship God falsely, We neglect the true representations of God in the world, which are all people made in God's image. Now, one may accuse certain Christians who are trying to grasp this idea of our words and our actions, pointing people directly to Jesus, that we would remember and and seek to live well together in the land based on Jesus. Jesus in his life. Some may accuse Christians like that of being too focused on social justice. I have experienced this criticism. Let me be clear. If the good news of the gospel of Jesus is individualistic, if it is only about going to heaven when we die... Obviously, how we get along with one another, how we practice our politics, how we order our lives together, how we spend our money, that's completely separate from the gospel. And then it doesn't matter. But that's not true. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just individualistic. Yes, God is calling you to follow and be formed by Jesus Together, This is how N.T. Wright put it. In the early church, what mattered was not people going from earth into God's kingdom in heaven. What mattered and what Jesus taught his followers to pray was that God's kingdom would come on earth as in heaven. So we sing that beautiful hymn Phil Wickham wrote, and at the end, we say, Let it be today. We shout the hymn of heaven. Nailed it, in N.T. Wright's opinion. Let it be today, because we are not biding our time for some. Day in the future when we will float away, we are biding our time for the day in the future when God will send Jesus back here to make it all right. And we have been called specifically as God's treasured possession to get to work on that right now. That is a very different gospel than I learned as a kid. And it is the greatest joy of my life to try to help us all characterize that better today than I learned it. Long ago, you're supposed to be here. God didn't transport Israel to the next thing upon calling them to show the world who God is and what God is like. God said, Get to work to show the world what God is like with our words and our actions. So, what is God like? Well, I'll say it again we find that in Jesus. We find that in Jesus where the powerful are are pulled down, where those who seem to be winning by the world's standards, they're actually not allowed to get too big for their britches. What's Jesus like? Well, in Jesus's economy, the poor are actually lifted up. And no matter how much you've been kicked by life. Oh, he loves you so much. God loves you. You see, you can't separate the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God from compassion and justice in society. Because God is not just sitting around waiting to bring about a new kingdom. But that work has begun, y'all. It is happening now. God is making all things new. And the last thing we're to do is just to sit around until Jesus eventually makes it happen. But the greatest joy of our lives can really be to participate in it. There's a lot of things that make a lot of us happy. There's a lot of things that make me happy. The Braves are really good. They're really good. And in my most honest pastoral moments, it all pales in comparison to what Jesus has in store, to what Jesus is creating, if we're just sitting around waiting, we're doing it wrong. If instead we believe that God already is, through Jesus, making things like they ultimately will be, then we will be moved to participate. And that's why the church at Harpatites is here to participate. To engage each whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Just as Israel was. So are we. Let's pray.